0: hey this is tyler johnson pastor of mission church located in walnut creek california i want to say thank you for tuning in i hope this podcast inspires you encourages you and helps you live the life god called you to live enjoy mission church pastor tyler here man i just loved worship today wasn't that good come on oof! some of my faves today hey before i even go in the message i just gotta say a big thank you to mike Lucia. Man, let us all grab that message and not just be a thought, but actually live it out. Let's thrive in the wilderness. Love you, Mike, job well done. Uh, If you're brand new, we're in a series right now titled The Making of a Great Church, The Making of a Great Church. And the the thought is simple is, I don't wanna go to an okay church. I definitely don't wanna go to a bad church. I definitely don't wanna go to uh, the old um, uh, stuffy church that basically loves preferences. I wanna be part of a great church. I wanna be part of a church that changes the world. Call me crazy, but that's my goal. That's what I wanna be a part of. And I love this uh, verse in Revelation. So um, Revelation, we're looking at the seven churches, but I wanna go to Revelation one and just read you a verse that I was um, reading this week that just pierced me. It says this, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. I am blessed, me, that's what that means. Ooh, feels good, okay? So God blesses the one who reads uh, the words of this prophecy to the church. You're welcome, okay? Uh, And he blesses all who listen to its message. You're welcome. You're blessed right now because you are listening to the message. But it says this, listens to this message and obeys what it says. If you're with somebody, say obey, oof, obedience. A great disciple <laughs> is an obedient disciple. I know that's a um, word we hear a lot in church, but I want it actually to be a, a lifestyle thing after this message, okay? So a couple of thoughts real quick uh, about just obedience. Uh, these letters are from the boss, the head of the church, the top of the top. It's not from just somebody, it's from the boss. It's from the Alpha and Omega. It's from the father of all fathers. It's from the King of Kings. He writes these letters to us. I'll never forget my very first job. And I just kept on getting promoted pretty fast. And I asked the boss one time, why are you promoting me faster than other people? And the answer was very simple. I said, a lot of people here that work here think when I ask something, it's a suggestion. You actually know that it's not a suggestion that I'm the boss and you do what I say. It's very simple, Tyler. You wanna get promoted here, just do what I tell you to do. That was the great uh, organization McDonald's. I became a grill master at McDonald's, thank you very much. Uh, It was one of those seasons where I learned that if you actually wanna get promoted in life, that you actually have to be an obedient employee. Well, you'll see in the Church of Philadelphia that we're gonna learn from today, they're the most obedient church. A lot of scholars title them the obedient church. We can think of uh, the Church of Philadelphia as the the brotherly love church, the loving church, but do you know the word says that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments? They're the most loving because they're the most obedient. They're the obedient church. And so I realized that, man, when I wanna actually succeed in life, man, I listen to my authorities. There is safety in submission. Second thing I thought about uh, when I was uh, preparing this was, I remember being a young kid and not really understanding why my parents gave me boundaries. Why they would say simple things like this, don't cross that street, that's a busy street. Well, I'll never forget the day when I decided not to listen to my parents. Uh, me and my little uh, buddy named Mikey, uh, Mikey Dyer was his name. Uh, we, I was, uh, I guess, maybe eight, maybe nine years old. Uh, there was this busy street we weren't allowed to cross but they were building new houses and there was a big pile of dirt. And to two nine-year-olds, a big pile of dirt looks like a playground. And so Mikey's like, we gotta go roll around in the dirt. We gotta go make caves in the dirt. We gotta cross the street, Tyler. I was like, okay. So we crossed the street over there and we play in the dirt. We're rolling down in the dirt. We're having the best time ever. I remember crossing the street back. And I can honestly say there's only two times in my life where I can say I almost died. One was when I was in my uh, early 20s and I uh, got anaphylactic shock from eating chicken and I went to the ER and almost suffocated to death. That was one time. The only other time is when I was nine years old and I was crossing the street and a truck was flying around the corner at that busy street and he slammed his brakes on and I froze like a little kid and started crying. He barely missed me and he would've killed me if he would've hit me. I remember getting back across the street and realizing my parents didn't give me boundaries to steal from me, they gave me boundaries to protect me. And and what I think about the Bible sometimes is, can I just say this real quick? It's not a suggestion book. This is not God's suggestions to you. It is life and death. It is, these are the boundaries I've set. This is the way that I've told you to go. And if you don't listen to it, you will taste the world and the world is death. My prayer today is as we learn from Revelation that we'd be inspired. Because the the reality that we're gonna learn from uh, Philadelphia is they're the greatest of the seven churches. They're the greatest of the seven churches. Do you know that they're the only one that doesn't have like a a charge or a warning? God just basically celebrates them the whole time. All the other churches, there's this warning, stop, repent, turn around. Philadelphia, they don't need to turn around. They're going the right direction. They don't need to repent. They're worshiping the right God. They don't need to repent. They love God and they love people. This is an amazing church. It's the greatest church. Why are they the greatest church? Now, uh, a couple things that I think would be fun to uh, tell you is just some fun facts. So these are for the uh, Bible nerds. If you're a Bible nerd, these would be fun facts, ready? Uh, the Church of Philadelphia was lo- uh, located on the Eastern side of basically Europe and Asia. It was the gateway, um, you could say. It was a significant city. Uh, it was a, a city that was known for wine. So it was kind of like Napa. It was like, like famous wines would come out of there. They had ash for soil, so they had amazing vineyards, they had amazing wine. But the other thing they called it was Little Athens. It wasn't a city, it wasn't a suburb, it was a hybrid. It was a significant place. I would submit to you it was a lot like Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek's not a city. It's not a suburb, it's a hybrid. That's why so many people love it. And that's what Philadelphia was. It was this unique town. Now what's fascinating also about the Church of Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia is simply this, is that uh, there was a great earthquake in 17 AD, destroyed Sardis and 10 other cities. Philadelphia survived. But after that great earthquake, they started calling Philadelphia the city of earthquakes because for months, Day after day after day, there'd be an earthquake. So much so that the people who lived outside in the huts of the uh, local city center, they wouldn't even go into the city anymore because they were afraid to die because of the rubble that would fall on them from an earthquake. Can you imagine not not wanting to leave your house because you might die? Yeah, you can. It's called the pandemic we're living in right now. Man, we can relate with this church. And what's amazing is this church is celebrated for two things, and we're gonna see it. They're celebrated for enduring and they're celebrated for their deeds. Let's go into Revelation 3, 7 through 13. It says this, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Talking about Jesus, he's holy and true. We're gonna talk about the today. Who holds the key of David. We're gonna talk about that today too. He's got all the authority. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Can I just say a real quick free thing? If you're trying to get somewhere and God is not blessing it, stop fighting God. Stop fighting closed doors. It is God's mercy they're not open. Let's keep going. I know your deeds. I love that the Lord says, I know your deeds. Bob Goff wrote a book uh, a while ago, bestseller titled Love Does, Love Does. And again, this church is known as the most loving church. And the Lord comes out and says, I know your deeds. Because love doesn't sit on the sidelines. Love doesn't talk, love does. And so he says, I know your deeds. I love this A.W. Tozer quote. I want you to hear real quick. We must not think of the church as an anonymous body a mystical religious abstraction. We Christians are the church. You're the church, I'm the church, hear this. We Christians are the church and whatever we do is what the church is doing. Stop. So whatever you did this week, that's what the church is to Walnut Creek and to the East Bay region. If you did nothing, then the church is doing nothing. If you were legalistic this week, then the church was legalistic this week. If you were condemning, the church was condemning this week. If you were political, then well, the church was just always about politics. Well, then the church is political this week. But if you were encouraging, well, the church was encouraging this week. If you were loving, the church was loving. And what the Lord is saying to the church of Philadelphia, I know your deeds, and what you do is you love. You love people, oh, you love your neighbor. You love ones that don't think like you. Do you know that Athens had a bunch of different idols? It wasn't a a Christian town. It was a town full of idol worship and they loved their city still. Man, oh, I pray again that we would not think of the church as some mystical thing. No, it's you and I. What we're doing is what the church is doing. I love what A.W. Tozer says there. See, I've placed a open door before you that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, you're saying, so nothing bad happened to him? No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm gonna protect you from the great tribulation. There was uh, at least 10 people that we know in the church of Philadelphia that died a martyr's death. This is a church that was... Somebody who just didn't talk about it, but they paid a price. Keeps going, I'm coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who's victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Oof! do you know what he just said to you? If you hold on, if you endure, if you don't give up, I'm gonna make you a pillar in my house. What a reward that you're gonna be somebody who says, this is why the house was standing. This is why the house became the house. Oof, man, we need pillars in the church today. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Oof, whoever has ears, let them hear and what the spirit says to the churches. Stop, let's pray. God, I pray that as we look at this word, there's so many different symbols in it. May we not get lost in the weeds. May we just hear your heart today. May we hear your heart to the church. God, that you called us to love people, that you've called us to be obedient, that you've called us to endure. And may we hear the characteristics of our God and may it affect the way that we live. Oh God, I pray that my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said, amen. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at characteristics of Jesus just in this, just in this little chapter. I think the greatest church was so great because they had the greatest God. Do you have the greatest God? Do you have the greatest Jesus? Or do you have your own idea of who Jesus is? I think bad disciples have a bad view of Jesus. I think okay disciples have an okay view of Jesus. I think great disciples have a great view of who Jesus is. And what the Church of Philadelphia had is they had a great view of who Jesus was. And there are all these attributes that you just see in this letter. He is true and he is holy. So what I wanna do today is I just wanna unpack who Jesus is. Some of you have been Christians for a while and I'm gonna share something about Jesus and you never knew about it. I'm gonna share a facet of who God is and it's gonna be revelation. It's gonna be the first time you really heard it and it's gonna pierce your heart and it's gonna change the way that you follow him. The first point is simply this. You see in the um, Revelation 3, it says this, these are the words of him who is holy and true. So he is true. He is the true God, he is true. Now, that word true is interesting. In the Greek, there's two words they use for true. In ours, we use uh, true, we say true or false. But this is the other word in Greek that means true. It means the real deal, authentic. Have you ever um, been ripped off and bought a, like a fake Rolex? I had a buddy who bought golf clubs online, tailor and they were fake tailor He literally hit the golf ball and the club snapped. When you buy fake, you pay the price. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the true. Not true or false, he goes, I'm the real God. I'm the real thing, I'm the real one. And I love this moment in Luke 9, because once you realize that he's the real God, there is no other God, there is no other one to pick. It just changes the ways that you follow him. In Luke 9, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. And if you know anything about Luke, Luke was a Gentile and he was a doctor. And God uses him surgically to uh, basically write the gospel of Luke. Because the first eight chapters just lands on who is God. You'll see throughout the first eight chapters, who was this man that forgives? Who was this man that heals? Who was this man that the winds and waves obey him? It's all these who, who, who. So for eight chapters, oh, the disciples see who this man is. His name is Jesus. So then Jesus takes a pivot in chapter nine and he asks him a simple question. And here's what he says. Once, Jesus was, uh, once when Jesus was praying in a private and his disciples were with him, he asked him, who do the crowd say I am? Time out there is always gonna be a crowd with an opinion of who Jesus is. We don't listen to the crowd of who Jesus is. We don't listen to the crowd. We listen to the word of God. We listen to proven disciples. And so here's here's what they say. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Man, we have so many opinions in the world of who Jesus is. And then he asked Peter, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. You're the real one. He basically says to, to Jesus, you're true. And what he does right after that is he calls them, gives them power and authority and sends them out to be real disciples. You cannot be a real disciple until you know, until you know he's the real God. He, he literally says to Jesus, you're it. And I love Jesus' response in one of the other gospels in this story, He says that once Peter says that you're the Messiah, he says, you are blessed. You will not be blessed until you realize that he is the true God. Some of you have an opinion that Jesus is savior, but he's not really Lord. That's not how this works. I have a um, uh, little quote I wrote down. It's just simply this. How you see him is how you will receive him. A.W. Tozer says it in, I think, a better way. He says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you see him as savior or do you see him as Lord? I'm gonna share a little story about Rachel and I. I'll be honest, uh, Rachel's really likable. And so when we hang out with people, I've never had this happen yet. But I'll say this, is if I was hanging out with somebody and they said, hey, you should come hang out Friday night. We're gonna do a game night. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm down, but don't bring Rachel. We don't like Rachel too much. Can you just keep her at home? Uh, and I'd be like, uh, okay, uh, let me think about it. I'll, I'll tell her that I'm going to uh, work out or I'm gonna go serve at, at some, uh, some kitchen and she can just stay at home. I would never do that, you wanna know why? Because Rachel and I, we're one. If you don't like Rachel, you ain't getting me, okay? I'm not coming over game night if I can't bring my baby girl. It's not gonna happen. And really what's happening in this moment, if I could just share a simple illustration with you, is that if you, you can say to Jesus sometimes, Jesus, I love that you're Savior, but keep your Lordship at home. Jesus says, I can't keep Lordship at home. I can't, I can't separate the two. You, 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 if you want Savior, you gotta have Lordship. If you want Savior, you gotta have Messiah. If you want truth, you gotta have grace. These things, I don't leave one at home and come the other way. It's a part of who I am. And what Peter realizes is that Jesus is the real deal. He is fully Lord, he is fully Savior. Is he fully your Lord? Do do you love him leading you or do you lead your own self? So that's the first thing, he is true, he is true. Second thing that we see uh, about the Church of Philadelphia is because they knew he was a true God, they were true disciples. Literally, I love one of the theologians, they call it um, uh, the Church of Philadelphia, just the true church. When they look at the phases in history, you can look at all seven churches and you can actually see those churches in history. You can see the dead church, you can see the apostolic church, you can see all these churches. And what they say about the Church of Philadelphia is it just says it's the true church in every season. So through the, the time that Jesus has died until he comes back, there will always be a church in the earth that is still the true church, the real deal. And that's the Church of Philadelphia. How can you have a real church? Because you know real, you have a real God. Oh, I just love that about the Church of Philadelphia. I Gotta give him a shout out. Second thing is they knew he is holy, he is holy. This church got that. All other six churches, can I just say something real quick in Revelation? They let sin creep in. They let sin creep in. And you know what uh, happens when sin creeps in? Sin creates death. And so God's warning to the churches was get the sin out. Philadelphia didn't let sin creep in. So how, how, why? Why did they take sin so seriously? Why did they go, no, we just can't have part of it. You said like, hey, those Jews that are liars, I've seen that you, uh, they're, they're basically a part of Satan's church. Uh, I love how you stayed away from them and you stood strong to my words. You stayed away. I love what it says in 1 Peter 1:15 through 16. It says this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There's this moment in Isaiah six and holiness is fascinating. When you start to see God as holy, you start to see sin differently. Again, God, I see you as a rewarder, but holy, I don't even know what a holy God looks like. For the church of Philadelphia, why they stood strong, why they endured, why they didn't have any sin get in the church is because they understood holiness. Disciples need to understand holiness. Isaiah six, I wanna share a story with you and we're gonna see uh, what holiness really does to somebody's life. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's one of the most famous uh, stories in all the Bible. Attending her were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. with two wings they covered their faces, uh, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, "Holy, holy, holy." When something said three times it is, "You better recognize, this is the real deal, Holy, holy, holy. There is a rhythm to it, there is a, um, a, a, a purpose in it. "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory." Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, "It's all over, I'm doomed." for I'm a sinful man." Stop, do you know Isaiah is the most righteous man compared to everybody else at this time? This is a depraved nation. This is a holy man. They'd be like, there's the holy man, Isaiah. Oh, he's the prophet, he's holy. And then the holy man gets in the presence of the holy God and he realizes he is doomed because he is so sinful. Listen to what he says, he goes, "'It's all over, I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips.'" Can I just say real quick, guard your mouth in this season. Do you know right where he goes? He goes, oh, my lips, because the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, watch what you're saying. Watch who you're talking about. Watch what's coming out of your mouth. Oh, we can get so filthy. This little tongue, it can create blazes and fires. Watch your mouth. Oh, it creates sinful things. And so he feels dipped. He feels I'm done. I'm done, I, I have no hope. But here's what happens in this moment, and it's hope for all of us. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips yet I've seen the king of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Do you know that another name for the church of Philadelphia by scholars was called the servant church, the missionary church. They were the ones that actually answered the call to be sent to places that were being broken. I want you to hear something real quick. Holiness, when it fills your life, when you actually see the holiness of God, sin's gonna gross you out. Sin's gonna bother you. Sin's gonna disturb you. Sin's gonna cause you to mourn. Blessed are those uh, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's fascinating to me that we can be so callous to sin at times. The reason why is you haven't gotten the presence of the Holy God lately. Turn on some worship music, start reading your word and start praying. Start looking at the facets of God and see what grieves his heart. Start reading the book of Judges where you cannot find God and you'll see people raped, pillaged and killed and you'll see what sin does to people. Sin destroys families, sin destroys marriages, sin destroys promises of people's life. Sin steals everything. When you start to understand holiness, you start to realize that sin just has no place. When you get filled with holiness, looks what happened. The room got filled with holiness, guess what had to go? Sin, may holiness fill your life. May you be holy because he is holy. Oh, it's an attribute of a great church. The church of Philadelphia, we, we again, just a quick, quick, quick flyby. Oh, that's a loving church. They were loving because they were holy. You gotta look at the root that caused all these symptoms of them loving people and loving God. They guarded the right things. Oh, they guarded their relationship. Third one, and this really is the crux of it. This is where I, it's gonna get real good. So if you haven't been listening, buckle up, dial in. This is where, this, is, this changed the way I'm going to live my life as a Christian. A hyperbolic statement, ready? This will be one of the greatest things I've ever teach you at Mission Church. Okay, another hyperbolic statement. If you don't get this, you're dipped. Okay, you ready? Here we go. He is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. There's two things the Lord celebrates about the Church of Philadelphia, endurance and deeds. We're gonna talk about that real quick. And let's just be honest. I feel like some Christians just don't get it yet. They think they can live 10 different ways and their life will still end up in the promised land. They can just live whatever way they wanna live and then everything's still gonna be okay. I wanna read you the verse real quick and it's gonna get a little serious and we're gonna dive in. And and again, hyperbolic statement. This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life in scripture, at least for myself. Maybe it hit me because I need to do it more, but maybe this is for somebody else today too. Here we go. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door. That word open door, you gotta understand the context of what he's saying even. Open door at that time at great opportunity. Paul uses open door in Corinthians a couple of times in Colossians. It's a phrase, it doesn't mean just any open door. It's God saying, you've been experiencing a bunch of closed doors, but I've seen you stand strong. I've seen your endurance. I've seen you still love. I've seen you, the word endurance in here, I've taught on this, it's the Greek word super standard. It's a hyper standard saying like, no matter what, I'm not moving. The greatest endurance we've ever seen is on the cross. No matter what, Jesus was not moving. He was gonna pay the price and he was gonna forgive. He was the super standard of all super standards. So you have this church and he's saying to the church, I know your deeds. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Oh, the people that you don't feel you're very strong, man, God can work with you. This was a small church. Little strength, little time was time talking about is, they're small in number. They weren't the overpowering group in the city. You could say maybe a church like Mission Church of 800 in a Bay Area of 10 million people. We're not outnumbering them. We're a little church. We have little strength right now in this region. Since says, those a little strength, you have not denied my name. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. He's saying, not only will I uh, uh, give you an open door, but I'm gonna protect you. I'm, go- I'm gonna be at your aid. Let's talk about endurance real quick. The Church of Philadelphia, if you look at their history, this is right before the, uh, the time they walk basically into their moment of being influential in this city where they start to do amazing things. Now, what I find ironic or fascinating about this is the way that you steward closed doors will affect your open doors. I, I wrote this down as, as a quote, how you endure this season will affect how you enter the next season. Can I just say something real quick? How you endure singleness will affect how you enter marriage. I, 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 how you endure finances is how you will enter your next season of blessing financially. These are all biblical principles. How you endure offenses, how you endure betrayals will affect how you enter the next season of relationships. Have you ever seen somebody who, not, who did not endure offense well and they entered a new season at a church? They bring poison and bitterness with them. And what this is showing me, you, let me show you. Let me put it this way. Christians too often try to put a Christian bow on everything. They try to put a Christian bow just on every single part of their life and it just doesn't look like that in the Bible. Show me the Christian bow on Saul's life. Saul couldn't steward his seat well and it cost him his life and his family life. He died. Where's the bow on that? I cannot tell you where the bow is. I'll be honest, I I hear this verse a lot from Christians and it's a great verse. God works together all things for the good of those who love him. Well, okay, well, what is love? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. God works together all things for the good of those who obey him, who actually endure for him, actually stand strong for him, who do the deeds they called. I I, I gotta tell you something real quick. You, You love the Savior, but do you love following him? Do you love saying no to the world? Do you love worshiping him and nothing else? Because the reality is is that if you decide to date just anyway, why do you think you're actually going to reap the fruit that God has for you? If you decide to treat your finances anyway, why do you think there's gonna be an open door? There are not 10 ways to blessing. He is the way, the truth, the life. I think of David and the way that David endured his season changed how he entered his next season. Well, is endurance really that important? Ask the Israelites. No endurance, no entering. No endurance, no entering. They had no endurance for the, for the journey. And what happened? They never entered the promised land. To everybody listening today, I wanna hear something real quick. If you don't have endurance, start praying for it. If you don't have endurance to actually say no to this world, start praying to be a super standard. If you don't have endurance to say no to just some guy, be praying. No, God, don't let me just say yes to just any guy. May I actually understand that you're the one. Do you know that I steward my singleness pretty darn well? Do you know that Rachel steward her singleness pretty darn well. I'm just gonna. I, I got to break a little bit. You ready? I'll never forget. I'm single, I'm in my apartment, I'm watching Friends by myself. I just went and got some kind of a fast food and went and got a blockbuster movie. I was gonna watch Friends and then watch a movie. And I remember sitting there by myself and just telling the Lord, Lord, if this is all I have, I have more than enough. I came to this conclusion that all those shut doors was for my good because if I would have met my spouse too early, I would have made him an idol. Oh, I, I, the, date, the dating relationships that I was in in my early 20s and just throughout my life, I just I made the girl an idol to complete me. All those shut doors of never getting married, it, it changed me in a great way. So when I met Rachel, she wasn't somebody to complete me. She was just my best friend. I love living life with her. And if I'm being honest, Rachel endured singleness, all amazing, 29 years old I meet her. She is so picky in the best way. She's just not dating anybody. She's got a bar for her life. I'll be honest, if Rachel was dating everybody, I never would've dated her. If Rachel was saying yes to every guy who asked her out, I never would've asked her out. The reality is she endured singleness well and she entered her next season really well. You're welcome. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but you're welcome, sweetie. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but you're welcome. Um, I think of the way Rachel and I have endured our finances. I think of people I know in the church and I wish I could share stories. Oh, I've got a great story of my buddy who how he just endured the hardest season and never stopped giving to the house and he's blessed beyond belief today because of it. He endured those financial tests. Second thing it says is simply this. <laughs> he rewards deeds, he rewards deeds. I'm not even gonna read the, uh, the, the scripture, but Matthew 25, he gives these three guys three different talents. I read it to our staff every few months because it's one of those ones where I realize God has given us an opportunity to do something really special here at Mission Church. And the reality is, is that if we don't steward well, can I just be honest? Can you imagine being like, let's just say it was today. It was me, you, and Shane Russell, okay? Me, you, Shane Russell, our production pastor. Shout out Shane Russell, I love you. Me, you, and Shane Russell. And God comes back every five years. and five years, he comes to me and goes, Tyler, you stewarded well. Here's more, um, here's more authority. Here's uh, uh, more uh, um, favor in the city. Job well done, Shane. You stewarded well. Here's more of this, here's more of that. And then you're in the middle and Jesus says you, I'm gonna take what I gave you and give it to them because you did nothing. Well, that's not fair. That's not Christian Bo, Don't you love me? Doesn't everything work out for me? Jesus is not Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. He's not Oprah. God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. It's fascinating to me that Christians think that they can live any way in their life and reap the promises of God. It's not scripture, it's not biblical. A great disciple knows he's a rewarder and they know that rewarding comes from endurance. So how do you endure? How how do you steward well? It's the next one. You know that he's in charge. You know that he's in charge. It says this in Revelation 3.7, who holds the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open. I love that, who holds the key of David. Now, um, we're in our new venue. I'm a little hot, so forgive me. I, sh- I, gotta get pre- I gotta get a preaching raise next time. I'm gonna pat myself off, put a little Chase Wiggins put on my shoulder right here. Shout out Chase Wiggins. Um, the key of David. Again, you gotta know cultural context, you gotta know what he's saying. Now the key of David, you see in the Old Testament, the key the, to the treasury, but really it's, it, let's just depict it, it's like a key to a house. Now this key, we picture our houses today with one front door, you open the door and then you're in the house. But the houses back then, there were no windows even. There wasn't even a front door really to lock, but there was a linen closet to lock. There was a treasury to lock. There was a pantry to lock, so you lock up the food. Everything was locked in the house. Not one thing, everything, because people could easily get in your house, so you had to lock it up. And what the key of David is representing is, I've got the authority to everything. To the treasures of heaven, I've got the key. To the provision of life, I've got the key. To every door that you wanna walk through, I've got the key. And some of you, you don't know how to steward shut doors very well. You don't know how to steward a door that is just not opening for you because bottom line, you don't know who's in charge. I, I wanna use an illustration. I'm not gonna break about myself in this one. I'm gonna brag about Jesus. There's a moment where Jesus gets a slammed door shut right in his face. It's in the garden. Jesus is praying to the Lord because he knows he's going to have to pay for everybody's sin. And it really, if I could just put it this way, it's the moment where he comes to this moment and goes, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna taste the wrath of sin. This is going to be the worst thing that anybody could ever go through. So he goes and knocks on a door to get out of it, if you will. He says, Lord, can you take this from me? Can there be another door? Can, we go, can I go, is there a different route? Can I, can I go through this door? He knocks with prayer. And his posture afterwards, knowing that the door's not gonna open, he says this, it's very famous scripture, not my will, but thy will be done. You wanna know why you should be able to trust your God with shut doors and him being in charge? Is he's dealt with shut doors also. And the doors that he dealt with led to the greatest sacrifice and the greatest victory of all time to those who are victorious. What an interesting tie-in. Christianity is interesting. People suffer for so many different reasons. And we try to process suffering and we try to put a bow on suffering. There are what I call the romantic Christians. Romantic Christians, say yes to Jesus and think that there's never going to be suffering. Well, I've said yes to Jesus, no suffering, and they romanticize Christianity. That's just not the Bible. They're suffering. Then there's the stoic Christians. I'm going I'm to suffer, but I'm not going to let anybody know I'm suffering. I'm going I'm to keep on going. And when suffering happens, I'm just going to grit my teeth and get right through. That's just what suffering is. Just you got to grit through suffering. I'm going to be tough. And then there's the suffering that the Church of Philadelphia did and the suffering that Jesus did. We don't, romantically suffer. We don't stoically suffer. We suffer with hope. We're the the only religion, if you will, that suffering actually serves a purpose in our life. That suffering isn't the period in our book. It's not the period, it's the setup. Jesus' suffering on the cross was the setup of all setups. The, the, the reality of when you get a shut door because a relationship doesn't work out, a promotion doesn't work out, you have to believe. God, you said it, that if you open a door, there's no way that person can shut it. God, there's no way that person can shut that door. If I'm supposed to have the promotion, there's nobody who could stop that promotion. You're the only one that opens up the door to promotion. But if it's shut, it's, it must be you. It must be you, God. There's no way that somebody who's supposed to be the one that doesn't work out There's no way that it can't be it. If God opens the door and he brings favor in your life and he brings that relationship in your life, then it's supposed to work out. But if it doesn't work out, it's a shut door, move on. But the reality is, is a lot of people can't deal with endurance and deeds because they don't know who's in charge. Nobody's caused you more pain than you. I know you don't like it. I'm gonna say it again because you don't like it. Nobody's caused you more pain than you. You're the one who's made the most worst decisions in your life because you've acted like God. You've tried to be in charge of your life. You've tried to do things that you shouldn't have done. You've tried to get through doors that God kept shut. You've tried to justify doors that you're walking through or sliding across, and you gotta stop doing it. Man, thank God for shut doors. I think of this season of my life and Rachel and I, of just our big decisions. There's doors that have been shut in our life, and at the moment, I hated it. Oh, I. Do you think Jesus could have had the right to say, how dare you make me not uh, get out of this moment? Why don't you open a door so I don't have to die on the cross? Do you feel like Jesus could have responded that way? No, he, he responded with hope. He responded with obedience. Same with Philadelphia. And for me, I, I wanna say the mark of a great disciple is simply this, you ready? A door is shut in your life and this is how a great disciple responds, you ready? God, thank you for the shut door. Oh, your will be done, not mine. I thought this was the best decision, but you're way smarter than I am. Can I just put it this way? The gardener has the authority over the garden. The artist has the authority over its art. The jeweler has the authority over its jewelry. Can you imagine me walking up to um, Picasso and saying on the painting, you know, I like what you're doing here, but you should put a cool little like basketball hoop in the corner. The artist would be like, you have no idea, I'm painting a masterpiece. No suggestions, please. No suggestions, my masterpiece is my masterpiece. I I will shut doors to those suggestions. Oh, my prayer for you to become a great disciple is you would realize that the one that is keeping the door shut for you has experienced shut doors and experienced the great victory of that shut door. Man, let's celebrate shut doors at Mission Church. And the way we endure them, woof, is the way we walk through them. And last but not least, he's a refiner, he's a refiner. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. It's interesting that the greatest church was the smallest church. We sometimes think great churches are big churches. If we looked with our eyes, what does the crowd say who Jesus is? What does the church with a big crowd say who Jesus is? This church was on the same accord, if you will, of understanding that Jesus was the real one. Now, real quick, let me just say this though, because some people are gonna take this and hold on to it. Small church does not mean great church either. I've been to a lot of crazy small churches. Unhealthy, terrible pastors, manipulative, bad with finances, they're preference oriented. They're 70 people not because they're healthy, they're 70 people because you walk in, they've got the way they do things and are not changing and they're not even biblical. So small church does not mean healthy. Big church does not mean healthy. Healthy means healthy. And Philadelphia was a healthy church, they were a find. I think of Gideon. And Gideon's this fascinating thing where they have a crowd and God goes, I want you to have victory. You don't have victory with crowds. You have victory with a movement of people that are refined and know where they're going. I I think of this um, uh, simple thing about our church. I was thinking about Mission Church when I'm processing this. Is Mission Church a great church, God? Like when you look at Mission Church, is it a great church? Does it make you puke like Laodicea? Does it make you like Ephesus? Have we not fallen in love with you anymore? And we are doing simple things that we shouldn't be doing. Are we like Sardis, are we the dead church? Are we we almost falling asleep then we're dead to all the things we're supposed to be awake to? What are we God? And I wanna say this, I really believe Mission Church is a great church. And I think one of the reasons why we're a great church is because we're a baby church, because we are a weak church. I I love this about Mission Church. When people showed up to services at Los Lomas or Heather Farm or whatever venue we had, five venues in our first seven months, they didn't show up to a country club They showed up to a construction site. This is literally what happened uh, for um, mission churches. When you would show up, you weren't like, "Oof!" you know what I like about this place? I love their cafe. They got a great cafe. I just love it. You know, their sound system and their their sanctuary. That's an impressive sanctuary they got there. No, it was Ghettoville to Ghettoville. Trying to, we would have services at Las Lomas and there would be a play in the middle of our stage and we'd have to walk around leaves that they were doing for something. You never showed up to a country club. You're always showing the construction site. But here's the challenge to a church like ours. May we never become a country club. May we never ever become a country club. May, may you know this, that the reason why I'll preach this message, and I'll touch on this next week, where the reason why I'll preach a message like this every, every year, the making of a great servant, the making of a great church, is because we can never ever become a church that becomes a country club. Oh, he is true. May we be a church that always knows he's the true God. He is Lord and He is Savior. Oh, He is holy. May we take holiness seriously. Oh, He is a rewarder. May we endure open doors. everybody listen real quick? Again, one of the greatest things I realized. The way that I endure closed doors is how I'm gonna enter my open doors. It affects open doors. So I'm gonna endure closed doors well because I want the right open doors in my life. And He's in charge. Oh, may we always know He's in charge. I'm not in charge. Woo, thank God I'm not in charge. And last but not least, He's a refiner. May He always refine Mission Church. May he always prune where he needs to prune so he become a healthy, healthy thing that is vital and growing. And I hope this spoke to you today, Mission Church. I, I wanna um, pray for somebody who's brand new to church or you're tuning in for the first time and you're saying, man, I, I want Jesus. I, I want this thing that is the gospel, this good news that I can be saved not by my own acts. Because almost like Isaiah, Isaiah was, felt like he was dipped. How'd he get saved? Well, Jesus came back, and he was the greatest savior of all saviors. He takes away all shame, everything, and he redeems and restores. If you're brand new to Christianity, man, you can be brand new today. You can be brand new today. Can, can I just say this real quick? So I wanna pray for somebody else. You feel like Saul right now. I'm dipped. You told me Saul had no bow. Saul was ruined. He was destroyed forever. Saul's dead. There, he has no breath in his lungs. Saul's life did not end with a bow. I'm just being honest. But if there, are, there is breath in your lungs, there is hope for you. I love this verse in Isaiah 42 and I wanna finish and pray for you. I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't not share with you. I'm gonna find it even. A bruised reed, he will not break and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Some of you listening today, you're a, you are a little wick that's lit right now. God's not done with you. You've made a lot of bad decisions. You have not endured this last season well. You said yes to the world every single time you never said no. You do not endure singleness well. You do not endure offenses well. God is not done with you. If there's breath in your lungs, God, God has new mercies every day to start over. I heard a businessman say it this way, and I believe this applies to us today. If you are a businessman who's a failing businessman, guess what? You wake up and the next day you're not a failing businessman anymore. You're just a really wise guy who knows how not to fail at the, your next business venture. Do you, know, you hear what I'm saying real quick? That, that you wake up the next day, you have a new day to start a new business. Maybe you failed in that business because you didn't handle finance as well. Maybe you failed in that business because you didn't work hard enough, but you woke up the next day and you could start a new business because you have new wisdom. And if you're the Christian today that has been living like Saul, thinking you could do anything and everything and still be able to uh, walk into your promise, woof, you get a change today. You get to start living for God today. You get to start living holy today. You get to start saying no to the world today. Oh, what a great thing. I wanna pray for you too. So if you wanna say yes to Jesus, man, a few simple ways. Say yes in the, in the chat. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, go on our website, say I said yes, uh, tell somebody, uh, email us, we'll, we'll get you connected. And the second person, I wanna pray for the Christian. You're the, you're the little wick right now. There is hope for you. I wanna pray for the Christian. The door's been shut for you. There is hope for you. The Church of Philadelphia shows us that if we can endure long enough, there's a great opportunity ahead of us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the ones that said yes today. I thank you for the one today that as I was praying, they felt so much shame and no more hope. But as they started to hear the character of who you are, hope was birthed again. Hope was birthed that they've made a ton of decisions that were ones that you would never make for their life. But from this day forward, they're gonna say, Lord, there is one way to live my life and it's you. Oh Lord, I pray for that person today. Pray for the one that doesn't do well with shut doors. Give them endurance in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we be a church that does. We have great deeds that love does. May we love people this week. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. everybody said, amen. Come on, I'll see you next week. Love you, Mission Church. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.